John chapter 6. Did you bring a Bible? Did you have an app open? Here we go. John chapter 6, we'll start with verse 1. Sometime after this, now what does that mean? What's Jesus been doing? Well, um, John the Baptist has just died. Sometime after this, he has just healed a royal official's son. Sometime after this, he has just healed a man who'd been lame for 38 years, who'd been lying by a pool. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore. He's going to go to an area around the Sea of Tiberias, also called the the, the Sea of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Three names for the same body of water. We all think about the Sea of Galilee, but all three of those mean exactly the same body of water. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's it's close to an area of Bethesda. Now, that's going to make a difference here in just a minute. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him. Well, yeah, he's healing people. They're starting to follow. The crowds are coming. He's healing people. He's assisting people. He's changing people. He's transforming people. And so, yes, the crowds are starting to come around Jesus. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And I just mentioned two or three of those. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. He did this in all the Gospels right after the beheading of John the Baptist. So he got away and had time to pray and had time to think and wanted to be by himself for a little while because of this great tragedy. And he sat down with his disciples. Now, when you sit down as a rabbi, it's a teaching scene. Whenever a rabbi sat down, it meant he had something to say. We would usually stand up and lecture, stand up and teach, or stand up and preach. But in that culture, when you sat down, you had something to say. So Jesus is about to teach them something. He's about to encourage them in a a great way. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Why does it tell us that? Why does it tell us that in the middle of this story? It's because freedom is going to be offered and freedom is going to be extended. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, Maybe he started off with the 12, maybe there's 120, maybe there's 300, maybe there's 500, maybe there's now two or 3,000, and the crowds just keep coming. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, why did he ask Philip? Why did he ask Philip, where shall we buy bread? Why didn't he ask Peter or James or John? He asked Philip because Philip knew the area. Philip grew up nine miles from this far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Philip knew where Super Target was. (laughs) Philip knew. He knew where all the stores were. He knew where all the restaurants were. Philip knew exactly where Mystic Fish, Bonefish, Burns, Chick-fil-A, Jersey Mike's. He knew where all those places were. I eat it all. Anyway, anyway, those are great places. So he asked Philip because Philip knew. Now, it was a test. It was a test, and I'm coming to your test in just a minute, because you have the same test in every season of your life. The test that's revealed this morning will be your test today, will be your test tomorrow, will be your test a week from now, will be your test a month from now, will be your test a year from now, will be your test 10 years from now. We're getting ready to reveal your test, and you have this same test. You take the same test over and over and over and over again. 
It is almost every day of your life you will have this test. And so he asked Philip, because Philip knew the area. Again, Philip knew the restaurants. Philip knew the grocery stores. Philip knew the markets. It was his hometown. He knew where to go. He asked Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? But he asked this only to test him. God comes to Adam. Adam, you've got all these trees. You've got avocado trees. You've got fig trees. You've got olives. You've got grapefruits. You've got peach trees. You've got cherry trees. You have orange trees. You've got, you got 990. You got, Adam, you've got 1,000 trees. You have 999 trees you can eat from. Abraham. We've told you, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. You're 75 years old when it's discovered. You wait 25 years before you get Isaac. And now another 14 years go by. You're 114 years. I'm going to test you, Abraham. I'm going to test your faith. And you're going to realize how great your faith is. It's the test of the Sabbath, which is kind of interesting because of the Ten Commandments. It's the only exact commandment. It's not repeated in the New Testament. But the whole point of the Sabbath was you'll be the only nation that will work six days. Now, we don't get this. You will be the only nation that will work six days, but you will eat for seven. In that culture, if you didn't kill it, you didn't eat it. So you worked seven days to eat seven days. You worked every day in order to be able to eat. The whole point about the Sabbath was, will you put your faith and trust in me? It's the same with the tithes. Stephen's absolutely right. It's the only place in Scripture where God says to test him. Test me in this. I'll give you 90%. What will you do with the 10%? He said this only to test him. For he, already had, he said, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, let's just flip back to Exodus for just a second. It's the same thing with the quail and the manna. You gather enough for that day. If you gather too much, it would spoil. So what did they do? They gathered more than what they needed. They, they took more than what they needed because they didn't trust God. They didn't believe that God would really tell them the truth. But the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. The whole point on this feeding miracle, the whole point is not about fish, not about bread. It's about whether or not you will put your trust in me. And my friends... That is your test every day. Will you trust me when you're struggling? Will you trust me when you're hurting? Will you trust me when you're lonely? Will you trust me when you're making money? Will you trust me when you're broke? Will you trust me when you get the promotion? Will you trust me when you get fired? Will you trust me when the business deal goes poorly? Will you trust me when you get the college of your dreams? The test you face every day, every moment is, will you put your trust in me? And he asks us this on a regular basis. Well, Philip answered him, well, I know where Super Target is. And I know exactly where the Publixes are. We've got three Publixes in our little Bethesda area. I know exactly where, you know, Bonefish is, the restaurant. I got it covered. I know the area, Jesus. But I just want you to know, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everybody to have a bite What's a year's wages? Average household income about $50,000 in America. So 
this is 25, $20,000, $25,000. It's going to take $25K for everybody just to have a little bit of snack. And, and, and he's saying, I don't think this is a good ROI. I don't think this is something we should do. He's telling Jesus this, by the way, if you, if you catch the humor in that. He's arguing numbers <laughs> with Jesus. It's kind of cool. He's not real smart, but he's courageous. <laughs> Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew speaks up. And Andrew says, well, you know what? There, somebody brought a sack lunch. Some little boy brought some peanut butter and jelly and some cheese and crackers. That's about all we got. We got a sack lunch. We have a little boy that brings what? Five barley loaves and two little fish. But what in the world are we going to do? How, how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit now. Here's where the music changes. Here's where the violins come in. He says, have the people sit down. And then it says, there was plenty of grass in that place. Why does it tell us there was plenty of grass? Well, is grass a place of comfort? Is grass an anomaly in that culture? Is this a place where everybody can now have a seat? Is Jesus concerned about their well-being? Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass. And I've studied that all week long. I'm trying to find a good answer. I don't know if I have a good answer for that yet. I'm just amazed that it gives us that detail. There was plenty of grass in that area. If you have a better opinion, give it to me, and third service will be blessed. <laughs> 5,000 men. They only counted the men. It means 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 2.2 kids. There's 20-some thousand people in the area. 20-some thousand people around them. Jesus took the loaves... And he gave thanks. He takes five barley loaves, five little rolls, croissants, five little bitty pieces of bread. And then when Jesus gets involved, and when Jesus puts his hand on your bread, watch out, because it's coming. It's coming. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat. I just love that. When they all had enough to eat. When they all had enough to eat. Everybody leaves full in the presence of Jesus. Everybody comes away from the presence of Jesus. Filled up and happy and excited and overwhelmed with his presence. You have the same test every single day of your life. Well, let's look at your app. Let's look at some of the application to this. And the first question is, where will I be tested? Temptations and tests are not the same. You will be tempted. I will be tempted in our areas of weakness. We're going to be tested in our areas of strength. You are tempted where you are vulnerable. You are, you are tempted where you have those signature sins. If you're prone to this or prone to this or prone to this, that's where, that's where you're tempted. And we usually talk about that. But where you are tested, you are tested in your areas of strength. Why was Philip the one tested? 
because he's the only one who knew the lay of the land. He's the only one who was strong enough to understand how to fix or solve this problem. And so Jesus asked Philip, hey, Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? For he already had in mind what he was going to do. It wasn't a question. Jesus wasn't lost. He knew what he was going to do. You and I are tested in our areas of strength. And the question is, will we be faithful? Will I be loyal? Will I be faithful and give God glory when I'm making A's? Will I be faithful and will I be a trustworthy man or woman when I get into the college of my dreams? Will I be loyal and will I be faithful as I go off to college? I get my first real job, my first real paycheck. Will I be loyal? Will I be faithful? You see, you are tested, not when times are bad. You are tested when there's margin. You are tested when there's money. You are tested when there's health. You are tested when you have freedom. Think of a 16-year-old who finally gets the keys and gets behind the wheel of a car. You're being tested with your freedom. How did you do behind the wheel of a car? Dad only took my car keys away about four times. I didn't always do so well. You are not tested when things are not going well. You are tested when you get a promotion. You are tested when your marriage is good. You are tested when you got the date. You are tested as you're getting ready to go to the prom. You are tested in the areas of your life where there are strengths. Think about the Israelites. They cross over, they get out of Egypt... And they cross over the Red Sea, and now we got quail, and now we got manna, now we have water coming out of rocks. And Moses is going up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. We're going to get clear directions. We're going to know exactly what we're supposed to do next. And Moses is up there a little bit too long, and while they were being tested, they make a golden calf. You are not tested when things are not going well. You are tested... When they, are, when they are going well, and when there's margin, and when there's money, and when there's time, and when there's freedom, and when there's space in your life. Now, you'll be tempted somewhere else, but you will be tested when things are going good. Are you with me? Are you dead? Are you alive out there? I see, I see bodies. I see eyes. I must not let what I cannot do keep me from doing what I can accomplish. What can you do? What five barley loaves and two fish do you have? I'll never forget this. This was years and years ago. You'll hear how old this illustration is. When we first got computers at our church and we needed to buy five, and we only had enough money for one. And I was sitting there at a leadership meeting, much younger. I've never lacked for courage. Brains, however, and tact have always been a different issue. But I've never lacked for courage. And the leaders, because we needed five and could only buy one, weren't going to buy any. And I'm scratching my head as a young leader going, this makes zero sense to me. If we have enough money for one and we need five... We're not going to buy any. We're not going to help any. We're not going to move the kingdom forward any. We're not going to grow any. I said, you guys decide where the one goes, but we're going to buy one. Let's buy the one. 
I, I realize you as a student can't invite your whole school to church, but you can invite one or two people. I realize you can't invite everybody in your company to church, but you can minister to one or two people. I realize you can't reach everybody in your neighborhood, but you can reach one or two people in your neighborhood. We can't help all the children. We can't mentor all the children in all the counties and the state, but we can do something. And, and every week we're at the Youth Sheriff's Ranch, and we love these kids. These are wonderful, amazing kids. You can't do everything, but that does not give you a license to do nothing. So you do what you can. Just because I can't accomplish everything doesn't mean I don't accomplish anything. What will I do when the will of God doesn't add up? You know what you're about to do isn't what God wants you to do, but what God wants you to do is a really tall order. What are you going to do? When you know God is asking you to be something, or he's asking you to go do something. He's asking something that, wow, that's outside of my comfort zone. I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Philip, where can we buy bread? Half your year's wages won't even take care of this. Is spiritual maturity the same as self-sufficiency? No, it's not. We're Americans, and we like to be self-sufficient. And I like to be self-sufficient. All of us in this room, we want to be self-sufficient. We'd like to not be dependent on anything or on anybody. But as you look through Scripture, you see that how great Noah was, he was on his knees. How great Moses was, the most humble man in the entire Bible, he was on his knees. You look at the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These great men and the great women of God, they, they were not self-sufficient. They were dependent. Now, they were strong, and they owned property and land, and they were wealthy, and they had lots of skills, but, but they were not self-sufficient. They were dependent on their heavenly Father changing them and transforming them and leading their lives. The goal is never self-sufficiency. The goal is spiritual maturity. Sometimes a God-ordained vision will be beyond your resources and ability. Jesus was testing him. He already knew what he was going to do. Now, I think you should always crunch numbers. I think you should always audit the will of God. There's never a case for not being smart with a pencil or a calculator. You should always crunch numbers. You should always audit the will of God. But sometimes what God's asking you to do is just give me your fish and see what I, let me show you what I can do. Just give me your bread and I'll show you what I can do. Sometimes these God-sized projects, you, just, you, you trust him. And those are few and far between. But when they come, you let God lead you. I like this. Because Jesus thanks his father for something he doesn't even have yet. And if you know that something's in the will of God, what if you started praying, I know my son needs Jesus, and I thank you that you're going to reach him for Christ. I know my great-grandfather, before he passes away, needs Jesus, and I thank you for that. I know, and so you, if you know the will of God, you begin to thank him. Jesus is thanking him before there's ever any multiplication of bread and fish. And then this one kind of fits the same idea. Jesus thanks his Father for something that hasn't happened yet. That's what you call faith, isn't it? This little boy, he's an investor. This little unnamed boy 
is an investor. He's one of the first people I'm going to find in heaven. And I'm going to ask him, hey, did God shortchange you? God cheat you after this? What did God do in your life? I can't wait to ask him this question. I can't wait for him to respond to me and tell me, no, God didn't shortchange me. Let me tell you what God did for me. Mark chapter 13 says that when you invest in the kingdom of God, there's a 30, a 60, and a 100-fold investment. Now, nobody's getting 30 and 60 and 100-fold investments every year on, on what you invest. But you invest in the kingdom of God. He says your investments are 30, 60, and 100-fold. I can't wait to meet this little boy. I can't wait to meet the widow who gave the two mites. How did God take care of you, ma'am, the rest of your life? I can't wait to ask her that question. Because you and I both know God didn't shortchange her, did he? So here's how some people think. It's a selfish mindset. A selfish mindset believes that the more you give, the less you have. It thinks in terms of addition and subtraction. But a miraculous mindset believes that the opposite. The more you give, the more God can provide. It thinks in terms of multiplication. Now, maybe some of you have very little to give. This should encourage you. God honors all gifts. A little boy with a sack lunch when the needs were so great. And the little boy gave what he had, not what he didn't have. And it's a story that we'll be talking about throughout all of eternity. I told you guys a month or so ago that um, our youngest, let's see, she got married in October last year, uh, and, I, and uh, her baby is due in September of, of this year. And so we're excited to be grandparents and all for the first time. And, and um, so a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, on a Sunday night, we had a gender reveal party. Now, back in the day, we didn't do that, all right? But, but Hallmark and all these other people found another way to make money. And, and so um, we had a gender reveal uh, party. And um, we're, we're at this house, and we, we all take numbers from like 1 to 18. And like, why are, why are we taking numbers? And I got the number 14. And um, so we go out then to the golf course, and my son-in-law uh, takes a uh, big Bertha driver and a golf ball, and if the golf ball blows up blue, it's a boy. Yep, you're very perceptive. <laughs> and if the golf ball blows up pink, it's a uh, we're two for two. And so we don't know what, what the gender is, and so he whacks that golf ball, and it blows up pink. And so we're stoked to have a little girl, and we're excited about that. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Thank you. We are. And so the, the numbers then, I got number 14, I'm to write her a letter. And on her 14th birthday, she will open that letter. So we all had, there's about 18 of us in the room, so we all had numbers 1 through 18. So each one of her birthdays, she will get a letter from us. There were, there were three great-grandparents in the room, and the great-grandfather, so he spoke first and started speaking life into Emily and into Andrew. And I just, I just love that. When family gets together and, and the sage, aged, wise, begin to speak into couples and young couples. And they're 23 and 22. And it's just it's exciting. To, so the great-grandfather, the great-grandmother, uh, the other great-grandmother, so they're, they're pouring into this. 
Um, Danita will be a grandmother, so Danita spoke, and then uh, Sandy spoke, the other grandmother, Doug spoke, the other grandfather, and, and then the room's filled with, you know, aunts and uncles, and they're all talking about, you know, I want to pour into you, and one of them said, well, I'm not even married yet, and I don't have kids, but let me tell you what I think, and it was just funny, you know, and, and, and so we're, we're there, but it, it's family, and so I, I wrote my, my granddaughter a letter that night that she will open on her 14th birthday. And I thought, what, what will I say? What, what do I, I hope I'm alive, but what, what, will, what do I want her to know? What do I want her to read from me? And I, and I thought in about the last like, like 35 years of ministry, and what I know is that people who choose a life of faith, it's the test we face every single moment of every day. And so I, I'm not going to tell you what I said to her, but I, I wrote to her about her faith and how I'm, I'm praying for your faith to be greater and larger and greater and larger. And I just, I wrote scriptures and verses and I just, I, I, can, I can visualize. And she'll see that her grandfather had a vision for her faith. It is exactly how your heavenly Father has a vision for you. Before the foundation of the earth was ever created, your script was written out. And you are to have this robust faith. And every day of your life, you have this opportunity to have greater faith and greater faith and greater faith. I'm tested here. I'm tested here. I'm tested here. And when times are good, I'm going to be loyal. When times are great, I'm going to be faithful. When times are the best, I'm going to be on top of my spiritual game. That's God's will for your life. He has all that in store for you and for me. You have such a spiritual heritage in front of you. You have such a spiritual destiny that God has in store for you. And he wrote this for you before you were ever born. And now you are unfolding that vision that God has for you. Oh, it was a humble moment. It brought tears to my eyes then. It brought tears to my eyes in first service. It brought tears to my eyes in this service. So here's what I want to ask you to do right now. I want to ask you to stand up. And you do this at ball games, okay? If you've been to the Lightning games, and by the way, we're going to wrap this thing up today. We're going to, we're going to win this series today. We are. I know I should be talking about Jesus, but I had to get the Lightning in there just a, just a little bit. We're going to win this today. I went to the Rays. Ethan and I went to the Rays game last night. We're actually coming back. We're now 16 and 18. Maybe not the World Series, but we're coming back. All right? Exciting, fun. You do this at ball games. You get all excited and you wave and shout and scream and do all kind of cool things. So I'm going to ask you right now to take both hands, make fists in front of your face. Put, put both, everybody do it. We're going to look at you. We're going to judge you if you don't. We're going to pass you communion again if you don't do it. This is a prayer. This is a prayer. Lord, my natural composure is to fight. My, my flesh, I want to fight for my rights. I want to defend myself. 
I, I, am, I am about me. But Lord, now do this. I, I surrender. I surrender my defensiveness. I, I surrender my, my, my heart to, to you. I, I give my heart to you. Oh God, transform me. Then if you would, take your fists and put them like right here in front of you like this. Everybody do it. My natural composure, it's to keep. My natural composure, it's to hold on. It's to hunker down. My natural composure is to let fear rule or dominate. I confess this is my natural posture. But Lord, I lay it at your feet. I'm not going to take, I'm going to give. I'm not going to look what I can get from people. I'm going to figure out what I can do for people. God, I, I lay this at your feet. Lord, freely I have received. Now, what do you need to receive this morning? Lord, I need to receive some grace. I need to receive some mercy. Lord, I need some love this morning. I need some forgiveness. Oh, God, I just need Jesus. I need you, Jesus, in my life. Freely I have received, freely I give. All right, now this is what you're really good at. Cross your arms. Everybody likes to do this. Cross your arms. Lord, I confess that my my natural posture is to judge. It's to criticize. It's to find fault. It's to critique. Lord, I confess my natural posture, I can be pretty, pretty judgmental. But God, I want to be engaging. I want to be open to the moving of your spirit. I want to love people and pray for people and help people and encourage people. Oh, God, I want to be your son, your daughter. I want to be your man, your woman. I want to be the person that you can use. Lord, I open up myself to you. And friends in this room, if you've never given your life to Christ, now is a great time. And in your heart, just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I confess that you are the Son of God, the sinless Savior, and I I need you to forgive me and cleanse me of all my sins, and I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to... Let's... Let's have our prayer partners come down front. And if you gave your life to Christ today, we want you to be prayed for and prayed over. If there's something special you want to pray for or be prayed about, we want to pray for you this morning as well.